Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church's Sunday morning service. Our Easter message, the title of this message is Jesus' Resurrection Changes Everything. Jesus' Resurrection Changes Everything. And here's the question this morning that we're going to seek to answer from Scripture. How? How does Jesus' resurrection change everything? But first, let's review the facts about the resurrection. Those facts are reported to us from two credible witnesses, and their eyewitness testimony has been recorded by Matthew the Evangelist in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. So would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. And at Palm Vista Community Church, we center our Sunday worship of God on God's Word, on the Bible. Why? Because we believe that the Bible is God's self-revelation inspired by God. And so what we seek to do every single Sunday is study God's Word. So we ask our members to bring their Bibles and to open their Bibles to the text that we are preaching so that they can follow along with us in the text. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you're here as a guest, thank you so much for coming. We've got some Bibles on the table back here. Please feel free to go. Get up right now if you want. Take one. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it home. Read it. Or you may prefer to just look on with the person next to you. But I urge us all to read the text along with me this morning in Matthew 28, 1 to 10. This is the record of the event that changed everything. Before we read the text, I'd like to pray. I'd like to ask God to help us see and believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Yes, Corey is right. We will not see him with our naked eye right now physically, but we can see him with an eye of faith. It's called the revelation of God, and it's the Spirit of God that opens our eyes. And if yours have never been opened to this truth, I pray this morning they would be. So let's pray together to that end. Father, I pray that you would open every eye this morning, that you would open closed hearts, that you would, that you would push back the darkness from minds that just do not know this, and that you would give faith. Lord, faith, perhaps for the very first time this morning, or renew the faith of those who believe in you, but they're weary saints. May the truth of your resurrection change us, because it truly did change everything. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, church, let's read now this eyewitness account. This is like an eyewitness breaking news account on your TV set when you're watching the news. This is true. This is recorded for us to read and enjoy. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, 
Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. (laughs) Just imagine that for a moment. They had just seen him crucified and die three days earlier. Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Oh, I pray we would do that this morning. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Very understandable for him to say that. They probably were very afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. According to verse 1 of our text here, our credible witnesses, the two Marys, who were there at Christ's crucifixion, death, and burial, now three days later want to go to the tomb. Understandable. And it's the first day of the week. This would be Sunday morning. And so they make this pre-dawn trip to the tomb to see where Jesus was buried. And in verse 2, what do we read there? Look at it with me. Coinciding with their arrival to the tomb is the arrival of an angel of the Lord. The angel having descended from heaven and rolling back this huge rock that was used at that time to cover tombs. As a matter of fact, here is a typical tomb, a little blurry, but a typical tomb in the first century Middle East in Jerusalem. And so this large rock here, which weighed over half a ton, would have been right in front of that entrance. And this angel came to remove the rock. So imagine that rock right there. I don't have a picture of the angel for you. But imagine that rock coming, kind of weird if I did, huh? Uh, Imagine that rock being uh, moved across. It was so violent that it's like an earthquake. So they're kind of standing there, and all of a sudden, there's an angel sitting on top of the rock saying, hey, only it wasn't funny. In fact, we know it wasn't funny because though I don't have a picture of the angel, I have a word picture of the angel because the two Marys provide us a word picture. Look at it here in verse 3. Their appearance was like lightning. Now, you know how much I love lightning. Yeah, you all laugh. But let me tell you, if lightning hit right in front of you, you wouldn't be laughing. You'd be on your face saying, please don't kill me. I mean, lightning is powerful. Lightning is so bright. It's violent in, its, in it, the energy that it dissipates. His appearance is like lightning. No effeminate little angel with wings and a little cherub rosy cheeks here. Lightning. And if that weren't awesome enough, he was so brilliant, it was like white snow. Imagine, that's hard for us in Miami to imagine this, but imagine brilliant, brilliant snow on a sun-drenched morning on a mountaintop. It's so blinding, it could actually damage your eyes. That is... That is what they saw. And his appearance was so fierce. Look at verse 4. You've got hardened Roman soldiers 
Airborne Rangers, SEAL Team 6 guys. They were the best of the best because Jesus was a hot topic back then. Very political. So you put your toughest, best guys to guard that guy because he said he was going to raise from the dead. And you know what? His disciples may come and steal his body. And if they do, we could have political revolution because a week ago they were wanting to make him king. So the toughest of the toughest, they feared nothing. Listen to verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I don't know about you, but I've had fear like that a couple of times in my life. One was standing in the door of an airplane several thousand feet over the earth and getting ready to jump out of it. Yeah, I was like a dead man. The only thing that moved me was a greater fear of my friends mocking me as a coward. So I jumped and pretended like I was all gung-ho. I was horrified. Horrified. In fact, I just get a little afraid just thinking about it again. Someone come hold my hand, please. That's nothing. These guys were petrified. Petrified. But listen to what the angel says. He doesn't speak to the guards. Oh, no. He's like thinking, yeah, you need to be afraid. (laughs) Stay right there, petrified, frozen, like a dead man. You're fortunate you're not a dead man. It's God's grace that you're not a dead man. You just stay right there and you listen and watch. But then he turns to these two Marys. Listen to what he says, how kind he is. Verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Oh, God is so kind, isn't he? So good to us. If you're here for the first time, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is here. He really is. And he wants to reveal himself to you. That's the amazing thing. Why he would, I don't know. I'm glad he did. And he, and he goes on to say in verse 6, I love this. I know you came looking for Jesus. He's not here. Profound words. They're in a cemetery. And Jesus did die three days earlier. Well, where else is he supposed to be? I mean, that's where they put him. Why isn't he there? Well, here's the obvious answer. He has risen. You know, the early church used to say something. When a preacher would say Christ has risen, they would say he is risen indeed. So let's do that, okay? Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Yes. Yes. Eyewitness account right here. He's not dead. He died for your sins three days earlier, but he rose again for the forgiveness of those sins. And then the angel tells them, come on in. I want you to see what's amazing is in the first century, God chose two women to be the first testimonies of an empty tomb, which speaks of a risen Savior. Come on inside. And they saw. And they realized this changes everything. And then they turn around, and they're so excited. Verse 6, they depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Let me tell you something. Christianity is, is, is a lot of things, but it's not boring, not true Christianity. When you see evidence of the risen Christ, you run away with fear and joy. You don't just kind of stumble away half-hearted, indifferent. Indifference and biblical Christianity don't mix. They don't go together. So if you've got indifference, it's not biblical Christianity. If you've got fear and joy, by the way, that word fear there is awe. It's not like I'm afraid of you. It's I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. 
And they ran to tell the two disciples. They ran to make an, an appeal. And in the midst of their running to tell the two disciples, it just keeps getting better. You've got an angel like lightning and white as snow. And you've got an empty tomb. But now what happens? The risen Savior appears to them. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Greetings. Hello. I know you didn't quite expect to see me here. Hi. And they froze. You know they froze with fear because what's the first thing Jesus says to them? Look at verse 10. What's he say? Do not be afraid. Of course they're going to be afraid. Is this a ghost? Am I hallucinating? What is going on here? You were dead. Your face disfigured. I couldn't even tell who you were. They beat you bad. So badly that your back was flayed wide open. I watched you hang on that cross and asphyxiate. I watched the birds come and peck at your eyes. You were naked and ashamed and broken and being mocked. And everything was over. And we were being mocked with you. And we're running for our lives. How can you be here? They were afraid. But they were also filled with joy. And so they could not understand it. And they ran to tell their disciples, he's going to meet you in Galilee. Here's the point of, of the message this morning. Jesus is alive and it changes everything. And my prayer is that it would change you and me. That we would see him afresh. He is alive. That's my prayer. But now here's my question that I want to answer for you. How has it changed everything? How has it changed everything? That's the main question. If Jesus' resurrection changes everything, then how does it change everything? What is the significance of Jesus' resurrection for our lives? We're not simply memorializing Jesus, as Corey said earlier. No, we are worshiping Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. That is the call biblically. That's why Matthew the evangelist wrote this, not to give us historical information, but to make followers, it's called a disciple of Christ. So how does the resurrection change us and everything? Well, to answer that question, I want to go to another spot in the Bible because the Bible is God's self-revelation. The Bible is where God gives us the answer to the questions of life. And this is the key question of life. So I want you, I want you to think now, about a book in the Bible that was written to Christians not very far from where Corey is taking the team this summer. As a matter of fact, on the, on the screen here, this, this book that I'm going to reference right now was written to the church in Corinth. This is modern-day Greece. This is the Grecian Peninsula. This is, this is modern-day Turkey, where the early church was founded, Ephesus right there. And this is, of course, modern-day Italy. Here's Rome. And so we're going to look at, at two books to answer the question, what is the significance of the resurrection? One was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and one was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Because these books, written 20 to 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection, are given to us by God to understand the significance of the resurrection, to understand why, how it has changed everything and how it changes us. In fact, the chapter that I'm going to, 1 Corinthians 15, is all about the resurrection. It's often been called the resurrection chapter. So here's what we're going to answer. 
the significance of Jesus' resurrection for God's people. Point number one, because Jesus rose from the dead, here it is, we've got the facts, we've got the eyewitness account, we know it's true, it happened, but we're doing now more than just memorializing it and going home and having a nice meal, but now we're going to see why, and it changes everything, it changes us. Number one, God's people, because Jesus rose from the dead, God's people live faith-filled lives. On the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. This is probably one of the earliest creeds or confessions of faith in the church. This is what Paul writes. He wrote this in the 50s AD. Jesus died in the 30s AD. So about 20 years later. For, For I, the Apostle Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He did that on the cross. And that he was buried. There are eyewitnesses of that. The two Marys. But there's more. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. Then to the twelve. Matthew would have been one of those. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. 500 people who were living at the time that Paul wrote this were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. So if it wasn't true, they could have refuted it. They didn't because it was true. And it is true. 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep, died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, as as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So these are the men that actually saw and believed. Blessed are those of us who have not seen the resurrected body of Christ, but believe based upon their eyewitness testimony. So this early creed of the church provides the essence of our faith, church Our faith is centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We live faith-filled lives that God has kept his word. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. That is to say he's come back from the dead like Lazarus. About a week earlier, you know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. A week and a half earlier in a place called Bethany right near Jerusalem. No, no. Jesus' resurrection was different than that of Lazarus. Why? Because Lazarus is still dead today. Jesus is alive. So it's a different, it's a new kind of life. It's the life that we have in God available only to those who are justified right with God. It's it's regaining the glory that we lost in the garden, in the original sin. If that's new to you, stay tuned. I'm going to explain that a little bit more later. Because Jesus rose from the dead, God's people have the hope of the new creation. This is what it means, the new creation. And the reason we have that hope, the reason that's available to us is point two. Second significance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God's people live forgiven lives. God's people live forgiven lives. I want you to follow the logic of 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 18. So it's on the screen there. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 18. Follow this logic, Paul writing. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Our faith in an unseen Savior. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So here's the deal. If it's true that 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 we are still in our sins, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if it was a hoax, you know, like some kind of some people say that the, the lunar landing was a hoax, right? That they staged it in some, you know, Hollywood set somewhere, right? 
Okay, so just like some people say that's a hoax, some people say the resurrection's a hoax. If it's a hoax, here's the deal. You and I, those of us who believe, are still in our sins, and it's futile. But, but, it is true that Jesus rose from the dead. We have the testimony of Scripture. The two Marys give us their testimony. 500 people saw him after his resurrection. It is true. So therefore, the corollary is also true. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our sins are forgiven. The Apostle Paul said precisely that in the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Key verse, verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses, his death on the cross, and was raised for our justification, three days later, his resurrection from the dead. Listen, to be justified, you must have your sins forgiven. Therefore, therefore, God's people live forgiven lives because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead signified this, that God accepted Jesus' payment for our sins on the cross, that Jesus died for your sin and mine, and the fact that God received it and and said, approved, is his resurrection. Therefore, we live forgiven lives. Forgiven lives. May I respectfully appeal to you, dear unbeliever, My heart for you this morning, first of all, is gratitude that you're here. Thank you for coming. But my prayer is that this message, which is at the heart of the gospel, would penetrate your heart. That God would give you conviction by the Holy Spirit that this is true. And that it would bring new life to you. And you would cry out in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. Well, number three. The third significance to Jesus' resurrection is that God's people live enviable lives. Not envying lives, but enviable lives. What are you talking about, Pino? What are you talking about envy for? Well, because Paul talks about envy in 1 Corinthians 15. Back to our resurrection chapter. Look at verse 19 on the screen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is to say Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if we are living only for this world as Christians, we're most to be pitied. We have no hope. We're we're, we're truly just kind of (laughs) losers. But, verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, this would be Adam in the garden, When he rebelled against God, God said, you break my law and the penalty is death. And so it was. For as by a man, Adam, came death. By a man, Jesus, he was God, he was man, the God-man. This is a key tenet of the Christian faith, the incarnation of God. But he was a man, fully man, fully God. By a man, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and you do, if you're here this morning, in Adam you die. You're a dead man, a dead woman walking. Walking dead 
is an apt description. We're a bunch of zombies. Apart from Christ. That happened at the garden because of the fall. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We sang that. I am alive in you. You are alive in me. Listen, because Jesus did raise from the dead, instead of living lives to be pitied, we live the best lives that can be lived on this earth. We live lives that are filled with hope, hope in the future. We live lives that are blessed. Even as the Gospel Coalition blog quote that I have for you on the screen says, because of the resurrection, Christians live enviable lives. Knowing Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection far surpasses anything else in the entire universe. Yes, even in suffering. Yes, even if beheaded. And we've seen that sadly on the beaches in the Middle East or oppressed or marginalized, and here in this country, yes, even if we are considered closed-minded, weird, or religious freaks. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we live the most exciting lives one could ever live on this earth with the daily hope that final day when Christ returns to bring history to a resounding close where he settles all accounts and he shares his glory with his people. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. Point four, another significance of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead, friends, we live eternal lives. Now stay with me on this. This is a lengthy quote from 1 Corinthians 15. But you, but you have to listen to the logic of this. This is true. This is educational, but it's, it's also life-changing. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is perishable, okay? Imperishable is the body Jesus has has now that he received in the resurrection. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed, all in Christ. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when Jesus returns, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, yes, For this perishable, this fat old body that's having lots of aches and pains lately, this left hip that for no reason at all is is hurting me, no reason at all. Thank you. It's perishing, that's why. It's like when your left strut goes out in your car. That's me, I'm just walking around. (laughs) And one day I'll die. Hopefully some of you will come to my funeral. I'll have the gospel preached that day. But that's not the end. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, buckle up now, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Listen, I've seen a lot of death recently. I've seen a lot of decay. I've seen family members who were vibrant and, 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 and happy and walking freely and speaking cogently. Now they can't do that anymore. And the reason for that is because of sin. When God said you sin, you die. But what he's saying here is death, where is your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, not through our efforts, through our Lord Jesus Christ our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's my hope. Yeah, I'm excited. 
Because this is exciting news. <laughs> Much more exciting than if any team you can think of wins whatever, or you even win the lottery or whatever. This changes everything. It may change everything in your life. Here God God fulfills his promise to mankind at the very beginning, right after the fall. He says, I'm going to redeem you, Adam. Even though you sinned against me, I'm going to send a savior. The seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the seed of the serpent. This is God fulfilling that. He was crushed, defeated on the cross, the resurrection. This is the significance. God has reversed the curse and given us life to his people. Are you his people? Then you have hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. And that means your life has true meaning. How does this resurrection chapter end? It ends with true meaning. Point number five, Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that God's people live meaningful lives. Meaning was disconnected, separated from human beings at the fall. When you were separated from God, you were separated from true meaning in your life. And the only way to get true meaning back in your life is to be reconnected to God. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us, friends. Therefore, you got to ask yourself, what is that therefore, therefore? It's therefore because it is referencing all that has been written in 1 Corinthians from verse 1 all the way to verse 57. Because all that is true, because the resurrection is true, because Jesus rose from the dead, because you are saved from your sins by his death and resurrection, because you have eternal life. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. At the root of true meaning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The result is that our lives are not in vain in the Lord, dear Christian. Rejoice. I know some of you are going through difficult times. Rejoice because Jesus rose from from the dead. In the Lord, your life is not in vain. And dear non-Christian, repent. And believe, so that your life will not be in vain. For it is only in the Lord that one's life, one's labor, is not in vain. Let us bow our heads to pray with the worship team. Please join me up front. Lord, I pray that this word would comfort and encourage your people. That if there is a Christian in this auditorium or listening to this digitally who is depressed, discouraged, bitter, cynical, retreating into themselves, asking, I've served you all my life and this is what I get? Father, as the angel kindly said to the woman, don't be afraid. As you kindly said to the woman, don't be afraid. You're patient with us. Minister the good of your resurrection to your people, I pray. Lord, may we be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, not just tolerating or kind of half-heartedly doing, but abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, my work's not in vain. 
Help me, Father, me, to stop looking at the scoreboard and figuring out all the metrics of what would say your work is in vain, your work's not in vain. Lord, help me. Forgive me for my unbelief, Lord. Because in the Lord, in you, it's not in vain because it's for you, it's through you, it's back to you. You are the one that set all the metrics. You are the one that determine all the results. But, oh, Lord, it's you, and I love you. Show me. Show us. Revive us again. And Lord, for the unbeliever here, the one who who doesn't know you, God, would you open their eyes? Would would, Would you cause it to just make sense? Life only has meaning in you. The resurrection's at the center of true meaning. May they repent and believe. May new life occur right now. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.